2: Welcome to the Solar Enterprise: Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks on today's show, grab bag galore. Hey, Ron.
3: Hey, uh, who came up with this? Yeah, me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know we've 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 had, we've had a couple of these shows. Uh, so the careful listener of the Solar Enterprise will note that when we did our sign-off last week. We said that we were going to be talking about Peter Block's new book, Confronting Our Freedom, which is mind-blowing, and we're really looking forward to talking with that. And the reason why we put that on the schedule is because we couldn't get Peter Block on the show. Well, the good news is, Ron, we got him. We got him. We finally got connected with him, and he will be back for a second appearance on The Soul of Enterprise on June 23rd. So that is, what, one, two, three, four, five weeks from now? And can't wait to talk to him. He's he's already intrigued us uh, when when he he responded to my email. When, when, and the show the soul of enterprise he pri- surprise, He said, "Never has the soul of enterprise been in so much jeopardy." So <laughs> this is going to be great.
3: <laughs> it is going to be great. I, I you know this is going to be a really interesting year, Ed, because we got Block, and next week we have George Gilder. Mm-hmm. So we've got my mentor, your one of your mentors, mm-hmm. um, and which book will will be book of the year. Right. Um, I I think it's going to be pretty tough competition. It could be a tie. I don't know. Yeah. Confronting our freedom is mind-blowing. Yeah. Mind-blowing. I, I don't even know how to describe it. Yes. And he's he's just a fantastic author,
2: writer, brought some of, of Kostenbaum's work in. But that's not what we're going to talk about here today, Rob. We're not going to do this because we're going to talk about that live with Peter instead, and I think that'll be much much more insightful conversation, getting it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, to be cliche about it. But Ron, what what, what do you what do you got on your grab bag galore here? I know there's several things that you wanted to talk about. I've got a couple too, but let's start with you.
3: Yeah, I don't know how far we'll get, Ed, but we'll definitely get this one in because this caught my eye this week from Ryan Lozanis, who we've had on the show, and I like him a lot. He's a he's a thought leader. He's got his own uh, community of, of firms that he mentors. Uh, really good thought-provoking guy. And he wrote this thing that really caught my eye. The Bill of Blower was destroyed over the last 10 years. Uh, I wish I could say that. <laughs> and so far, so good. Yeah, yeah. We put a dent in it for sure, but I'm not sure it was completely destroyed, but another topic. Mm-hmm. But then he goes on to say, but is it on track to make a comeback? Now, you, you want to provoke anybody at Verisage, put in a line like that. And he said, very possible. Here's why. Everything operates in cycles. Okay. Right now, subscriptions are in, but many are dealing with subscription overload. Second, new business models are emerging thanks to technology. Yes, and that's true all the time with or without technology. Mm-hmm. Um, 23-year-old social media, here's his example for why it might be making a comeback. 23-year-old social media influencer, Karen Majori couldn't keep up interacting with her 2 million-plus, mostly male, fan base, so she created Carolyn AI, an AI chat bot that replicates her voice and personality. And for the low, low price of a buck a minute, fans can chat. That is date with this bot, almost like you're speaking to Karen herself. Uh, she's on track to make $5 million per month, a high ticket subscription, human offering, or a low ticket billable minute per hour bot offering. So a one-to-one model or a one-to-many model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that this was really interesting because, you know, he's t- he's saying technology via bots will enable a new kind of pay per use model for services, just food for thought. What do you think? Well, I'm not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that the bill of Lauer makes sense. Even in Karen's case. Um, I think there's, there's lots of better ways to do it. I, I just, I, I can't, I can't ever, I. I'm trying to think, okay, Ed, what makes sense? What business model makes sense to charge by the hour? I can think of two. One has got an empirically proven track record, which you could also say about professional, the Mm -hmm. bill by the hour, yeah, right? And the big four bill by the hour and they're international firms. Um, And one is contestable, I think, but the first one is power by the hour. General Mm -hmm. Electric, Rolls-Royce, all the engine, I think Pratt, Whitney, I think all of them have a derivative of power by the hour where they only charge the airline for the the time the engine is in the sky. And I think that makes imminent sense because the incentives between the airline and the manufacturer are completely aligned. If that plane goes down, um, (laughs) it's going to cost both of them a lot of money. So they have every incentive with the internet of things to keep track of, you know, hairline fractures and the in the jet engine blades and things like that things that they can prevent from getting worse mm-hmm. so they have every incentive to be there on the ground when the plane comes in to check it inspect it pull it if it needs it get it back in the air as quickly as possible that's the one that's proven that that is a very viable model and that is based on, i guess they're doing timesheets on the engine notice it's on an inanimate object though <laughs> not a human being um second is I've always thought that the only other place that I can think of that pricing by the hour would make sense is on golf courses because the biggest complaint amongst golfers is slow play. Not so much anymore because so many people don't play golf anymore. I mean, it's dropped like a stone. I don't know if you've noticed this, but playing golf, a lot of golf courses are going broke, including the one I live on has been broke (laughs) for years. Um, But that, that aside it, that would speed up play. Now I also think it would cause a bunch of fights, <laughs> which is probably why they don't do it. You know, somebody's g- g- going to be waiting for the guy who's treating his putt on the green like, you know, he's in the Masters and lining it up for 20 minutes. The guy out in the fairway trying to hit is going to get, you know, and it's just going to create probably more problems than it would solve. But this this model that he's talking about with this gal and Let's face it, I think this gal, I don't know if she has an OnlyFans page, but you can imagine. <laughs> She's got 2 million male it, followers. It seems so. tangentially related. Let's y- just say that. Let's- yeah, and that's being kind. Um, phone sex is, you know, not a new business model, um, nor is the world's oldest profession. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the thing is, even in the world's oldest profession, and I'm talking face-to-face, you know, it's still a fixed price it has to be they get paid up front they mm-hmm. they've known about price psychology you know long before professional i used to joke about this uh, and get in trouble for it and i probably will again but it's true they price mm-hmm. up front
2: period <sighs> Well, and just cycling back to the power by the hour, that's that is still an outcome because it's the outcome of the engine. They're not charging for how long does it take them to put the engine together? How long does it take them to hook it up to the plane? How long does it take them for to maintain it? They're saying no, how long are you are you getting this result from us and you're getting that's you're getting paid we're getting paid for that. So that's an output or may, perhaps even an
3: outcome. It's an outcome because everything that they're doing, like you said, the repairs, the maintenance, the inspections, that's all in service of getting the plane back in the sky. Right. And it's,
2: it's the, it's insurance EN
3: model. Yes. Absolutely. Once again. Absolutely. Because it is, it is that uh, transformation um, pricing based on the output, like, uh, or outcome like Joe, like Joe Pine's example of the, you know he's going to his golf pro and say no no I don't want your lessons by the half hour make me a single digit handicapper and I'll pay you x amount yeah and that's going to change the way that golf pro deals with him
2: what's interesting Ron is that there's a there's a big movement in technology now to move toward pricing by the the by by how much consumption you're using uh, transactional or and, and compute power Yep. So you know, oh great, we're built, moving to billing by the nanosecond now. Really, this is what we're doing. <laughs> I,
3: I know. And look, AI, it, you know, OpenAI does not use pricing by the hour, right? It's a fixed price to OpenAI. I guess they even have a plus model now. Mm-hmm. You, I don't know if that's twenty bucks available. a month. 20 yeah, dollars. is that the plus yep. model? Oh, yep. Okay, I thought there was one above that that they're doing, but um, y- you know, it just it just doesn't make sense. And and I write about this in the book. Times up. Um, there is a fierce debate among pay-for-usage pay versus a flat subscription price. And, you know, a lot of uh, people are arguing pay-for-usage makes sense because if people want to use more, whatever, peak demand, all those things. But you know what, Ed? I, I just, I'm i not convinced of these arguments because that puts a cognitive load on the customer. And the, only, the, the, the quickest um, example I can, I can think of on this, and I'm sure there's others that you could bring up, is AOL. Remember when AOL, AOL used to charge by the hour? Mm-hmm. Well, you sat online and you just knew that the the clock was ticking in the background, mm-hmm. and that just put enormous cognitive load on people. And then they they went to a flat rate model. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they didn't want to do the cognitive load. Same with Disney with the. Disney Pass. When you know we're, we're going to stop selling the A through E tickets and make you count tickets and give the wrong tickets at the front of the line when you're up there and have the kid scream and cry because he mm-hmm. had the wrong ticket, um, it, it just got too costly and too burdensome for the customer. It's a crappy customer experience, except yeah. for power by the hour.
2: Again, because it's the out- It is directly the output of what they're doing. Directly the output of what they're doing. Yeah, because the you know the customer the customer is in the air. That is that is what they are.
3: And the other thing is the it, it's looking at inputs again. And
2: it I, is looking at inputs. It's it's nothing. It's nothing more than cost plus accounting. It, it and it's it's the finance people and who who are concerned about this. They well, we got to make sure that we cover our costs. You know, what at at the price of profit again?
3: the yeah, same it, conversation that we had twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years. years. It's, a, it's it's a suboptimal <laughs> pricing model. Uh, you know, Roy Sutherland. Sutherland was on with Blair Enns uh, on their recent podcast and um on the 20% marketing podcast that he does not his two bobs podcast um and Rory said in that podcast he said if you negotiate on cost based cost plus pricing you already lost you already lost because it just doesn't take into account value so i think there's other ways that Karen could price she could do a monthly subscription it probably lock people in more and, and it's a chat bot. Who cares if somebody stays on it for, you know, 12 hours.
2: But she probably has costs because she she probably is paying her back end by the nanosecond or something or by the by the the, the, the what it, tokenization of it. This is it's 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 all all going back to what's the cost of this? And that, that it's it's terrible. Yeah. But I'm sure right. that Karen could probably get a lot more money than the five million a month. As that, as I said, but as as you said before, it's really hard to convince millionaires that their business model is
3: wrong. So, right, right. So I, I and and I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, I, I don't know if Ryan's pulling people's leg with this or not. That was my first thought. Oh, come on, Ryan, you're you're joking here.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and and hopefully he is. But if he's not, um, it just I, I just don't think this this uh, what do they call it this this is a trans uh, transformative air. You can't mm-hmm. you can't compare this to what we do as knowledge workers. Now that said, I know uh, a lot of people are a big fan of the one to many model, right? We're seeing we're starting to see accounting firms develop communities, or there you know the hope is maybe Q and A chat box where people can come in, tap into your intellectual capital. You know we've talked to Hector about this. Yes, that's fantastic. I'm all for one to many models, mm-hmm. but if you're if you're a professional firm. You can, your your bread and butter is one to one model. Um, now it doesn't have to be, but you know if you're a tradi- more traditional type firm, I don't see a, a way around that.
2: Well, the mon- one to many can be can be a, a level, or it can be an offering for when you're not available, and right. at least get to, to get a quick answer or a first cut answer with. Oh, all right, well, Ron's not available, so I just want to search his books and see what he what what the bot would have to say, and then. Yep. Some mechanism to tie you back in and say, "Let Ron will follow up once he's available for it." Right. So and, I think and, that would be great.
3: And that's not new. Ed, we, no. I mean, EY and every big four has their own knowledge bank that they've mm-hmm. made available on some type of, you know, uh, subscription price or access agreement. On and yeah, it, it it's got it's got incredible content. Now it's just going to get much better with uh, open AI out
2: there. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. But Ron, we're up against our first break. Want to remind folks that they can get a hold of us by sending one email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. Show notes, previews to upcoming shows. Take a look at the Times Up Club. We'll perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about that in the second or third segment. Ron's new book, Times Up, is available and he has a you now membership-based club out there. The free forever level is free for everyone. So just go take a look at timesupclub.com. Also make sure to rate this podcast and you guys know where to go to do that. Ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. But now a word from our sponsors.
0: never have to hear my voice again for a commercial free version of the soul of enterprise go to patreon.com slash tsoe and subscribe now Voice America is on
1: LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into the Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag #AskTSOE. Now back to the Soul of Enterprise.
2: And we are back on the soul of enterprise doing grab bag galore. And Ron, here's a story right up our alley, follow up to some of the work that we've done on the meaninglessness of so many of the accounting reports out there. Um, This is from Bloomberg. The author of this is Matthew Boyle came out on the, on the 23rd and ready for this company earnings guidance is wrong 70% Seventy percent of the time. <laughs> yep. Seventy percent of the time. More than three out of four financial professionals said that there was strong likelihood that their company's earnings would fall within the guidance of give the investors. But this only happens rarely, according to researchers. They studied 357 CFOs, investor relations professionals, and other executives paper concludes the accuracy rate of only 30% on time. I, okay, let's just be clear that that's pro- a monkey could probably do better. Just... <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't wouldn't have the human bias, their inaccurate forecasts in turn influence the earnings estimates given by Wall Street stock analysts. This helps explain why only very low percentage of companies deliver results within the estimates. Uh, Bloomberg, okay, this past 60 quarters, it only That the uh, companies in the bellwether index reported earnings in line with estimates just over three percent of the time. Why? Why why do we bother? Why why do we bother? I
3: I don't know. It's it's a great charade. (laughs) It really is, and it's even worse. Ed, so put put aside that for a minute and think about Baruch Lev's finding Mm. that. Even if you did know earnings per share, even if you did know it a quarter in advance, you wouldn't make any money in the stock market from it because it's already baked in. I mean, it, the market's already discounting all this crap.
1: They, mm-hmm. know, they
3: know this. They know the CFOs are full of it when they get on the call and say, oh, our earnings per share this quarter will be. Nobody's buying that. It's absolutely insane,
2: and you know, it's, it's, again, based on the fundamental flaw that all of these CFOs, financial people, are using what to predict their future? They're yeah. using the finances. They're using financial forecasts. This is inherently flawed. You you can't you can't use financial numbers to predict the financial future. Get any new prospectus of any company that, and on, in red, big red letters on the side of it will be past performance is not an indicator of future results.
3: Yep. Hello. This is, <laughs> this is part of the topic that's in this book I just finished by um, some guy in the um, UK. Forget his name, but he's a chartered accountant and it's called Unshackling Accountants. And one of the things he points out is there's two, two schools of thought on financial statements and the usefulness thereof, and who they're designed for, and what they're designed for, and the first one was, um, you know, it was more of a management thing: how how well are the principals spending the agents' money? So it was a control and accountability function. In 1966, the the attitude started to change. Oh no, these financials now can help people predict future cash flow earnings, and that's simply not true. Because you don't have any of the market value in there, the fact that you know book capital only explains fifteen percent of market cap or whatever—it just—it doesn't make any sense to try and point Gap towards helping investors or any other interested party trying to predict future performance. It's something that Gap is constitutionally incapable of doing. <laughs> hence the goodwill plug number. I mean, I—I I don't know how many times, and and goodwill itself is a contested still a contestable item on the financial statement because of how you know do you write it off do you impair it after a certain period of years and there's subjectivity to all of it it's just because gap can't handle it gap is only designed to record a transaction after it's happened that's it so it's 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 more about accountability to the to the shareholders than it is about predicting financial performance i don't think anybody looks at financial statements to make a stock buying or sell decision
2: yep well I forget whose line it is but but goodwill is how accountants measure their ignorance
3: yeah it's the word they describe to use their ignorant uh, to, word used to describe their ignorance yeah mm-hmm. we need to put that into chat GPT and see what see what come out of it <clears throat> explain goodwill explain goodwill because now that chat GPT is a CPA, Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And, uh, yes. I'm, I'm seeing on Twitter that, Oh, this is great because it, it you know, I, I, and I don't know if they've given it the EA exam yet, the enrolled agents exam, but people mm-hmm. are saying, see, this is why, you know, EA is a better designation than CPA. I don't want to get caught up into that. I think they're both useless, but you know, <clears> because <throat> they're licensing. Um, but, but outside of that, I don't know what it proves that chat GPT passed the bar exam or the CPA exam. I don't or the medical boards, if they, mm-hmm. you know, would you want to go to ChatGPT GPT for your doctor? Yeah. You know, just first cut, first cut. First just cut to, yeah, yeah. And just pray it doesn't hallucinate on you. Yeah. <laughs> you're dead. You're dead, Doug. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Appointment over. <laughs>
2: Here's some recommendations on funeral homes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, no. no. anyway, I, I thought that was, I, that was right up no. our alley because it was just like, I, you know, yet, yet, yet again, no.
3: <laughs> here we are. Yeah. How much evidence needs to pile up? I, right. The party line. I, I just, it, when you look for the evidence and it's all around us, it's, it's out there. If you read it in the right places, but you're not going to read it in the accounting news press. If that's all you're reading, then you, it, it, what's that line? Joan always used. If you only know one country, you don't know yeah. any.
2: Mm, because yep. you have
3: nothing to compare it to. And people that are saying, oh, it's to protect the capital markets. It's to lower the cost of capital. It does none of these things. It does none of these things, the the audit, the financial statements. It really doesn't. Um, now, that's not to say that audits wouldn't happen if we had a completely free unfettered market. I think companies would still get audited, but it but it would be for a specific purpose like an IPO or capital raising or venture funding or something like that. So, yep. Yep.
2: There you go. All right, Ron, what, what do
3: you got? You've only got about
2: four minutes left in the segment. So you may want to want to pivot to something that was handleable there.
3: Okay. Well, I don't know if I can do this in the time remaining, so let's just start if it bleeds over next segment, that's cool. But I read a great book, Ed, and we've we've talked around this topic because we've had so many doctors Dr. Paul's mm-hmm. talked about this, the anesthesiologist, the ER doctor that we've had on, even, um, even um, uh, v- Mark uh, Vonnegut Vonnegut talked, talked a little bit about this, but we haven't said it in these terms. And it's a book called, If I Betray These Words, Moral Injury in Medicine and Why It's So Hard for Clinicians to Put Patients First. So it's by Wendy Dean and Simon Talbot. If I betray these words. And they they say they start out by saying, Oh, look, we read a lot about mental illness, right? In mm-hmm. in, in, in among doctors and all professions now are starting to deal with this. There's health issues, there's burnout, anxiety, divorce, alcoholism, even suicide, mm-hmm. which by the way, physicians do twice as much um yeah. than the general population. How much of this is burnout versus moral injury? So what these, what these uh, two, and they're both doctors, by the way, Wendy Dean and Simon Talbot, they went back to a translation from 2010 of the Hippocratic Oath, and here's what the Hippocratic Oath says, I pray that the attention I give to those who put themselves in my hands be rewarded with happiness. If I ever break this oath, let my gods take away my knowledge of this art and my own health here speaks a citizen, a servant of the people. May I be destroyed if I betray these words. Mm. That's the pledge doctors are taking. And they say, this is not simply a job. When we don the mantle of physician, this is the oath that we've been sworn to. And this is how we've been educated Mm -hmm. from, you know, med school through residency, through, you you know, you name it. Um, and, And so, they talk about how healthcare has become a business you know whether it's for profit or non-profit because even in non-profit the mantra is and we've heard this before no margin no mission right uh, you know like you what, what's your line about non-profits they don't have profit they have reserves reserve surplus or whatever <laughs> yeah, i think yeah. yeah um and in 1988 28% of doctors worked in large organizations by 2021 it's 70% and and there, there's incredible pressure on these doctors to uh, see more patients in less time, bill for more services with fewer support staff and the use of technology has drastically interfered with the care of the patient we've talked about the electronic health records. So this 50 this uh, fee for service treadmill and then of course, you know, Dr. Paul has talked about this by pointing out that if you change your light bulbs, you know, 50% blew out, you'd have an electrical system problem, not the individual light bulb, not the individual doctors. It's mm-hmm. not burnout so much as moral injury. And I know we need to take a break, but let me get in the the definition of moral injury. Cause I found this fascinating. I've never heard this term. And, moral and injury, way, I, yeah. Y- y- yeah. I first heard this. Um, I-, I heard the author interviewed, um, on NPR. So it, again, NPR swerving into an act of journalism with this. Um, <laughs> Moral injury was first used to describe the traumatic experience of Vietnam veterans, perpetrating, bearing witness to, or failing to prevent acts that transgress deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. Breaking a promise they made years ago, doctors entered the profession of medicine so that they could do no harm and always put patients first. And yet, now that they're in these for-profit and non-profit hospitals, um, they 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 cite one um, of ma- uh, management's expectations of uh, of one of the largest hospital groups. Management wanted physicians doing billable tasks for ninety five percent of the hours specified in their contracts. Administrators new doctors would would always find time for non billable tasks, um, even if it meant you know working at home or or whatever, because they're just not going to drop the ball on patient care and. This is a problem. This is this is the fee for service model. Now of course they're blaming it on profit which I find totally ridiculous. I'm blaming it on the business model, the fee for service business model. Um but this concept of moral injury, I'm not saying it explains like, you know, raw doctor burnout or maybe some of the alcoholism or other issues. I'm saying that it probably explains more than burnout. Because mm. I, I think doctors would have burned out a long time ago, but if you put them in a system that doesn't allow them to do what they were educated to do, now you're imposing a different kind of set of circumstances on them. And I think moral injury is a better explanation than burnout. Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is echoed too. And, and I forget who the, the English one, but I think Gandhi also uh, talked about it as well. That that uh, the the UK's treatment of of people in India or those under colonial rule mm-hmm. damaged not only those under colonial rule but also those who are administering the colonial rule the as colonial well. Rule.
3: Right. right. You know, like like um, well, you know, you read this about prison guards, mm-hmm. right? Especially if they're in gulags. I mean, the North Koreans and and the Russians too, and all of them. Cuba, every every one of them said, "These are not humans." that you're watching over. These are animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's another type of moral injury. So there's more to this said that we can talk about. So we'll, we'll do that in the next segment, but folks in the meantime, i would like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of me or Ed, send us an email to ask TSOE at various Do check out our Patreon channel where you can subscribe and get our bonus shows. And that is at patreon.com slash TSOE. And of course, that channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. More minds are better than one. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors.
2: Enjoying
0: our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE. Subscribe now and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We're doing grab bad galore. And gee, a lot of G's here, Ed. we got George Gilder next week. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, we've been talking about this book that I recently read, uh, If I Betray These Words about moral injury in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're talking about this, Ed, is because I think this is the same thing with lawyers and CPAs in a, a fee-for-service or an hourly billing world. I think it's a form of moral injury. This is not what we signed up for. And this is why it's so hard to attract talent into this profession because people get in there and they're expected to bill all these hours and they know it's not correlated to customer care. Uh, it's the same. Th- the parallels are eerie to me um, with this. Um, so they go on to talk about, um, well, first off, you know, Obamacare was the one that mandated the electronic health records. Right. Right. And boy, did this create all sorts of problems. Plus it imposed enormous costs on smaller medical practice. It was 30 or 40 grand to implement this with the software. It's like a $2 -hmm. billion industry for the software companies. And, uh, in a 2017 interview, former President Obama admitted, it's proven to be harder than we expected. Uh, uh, gee, you think? I mean, nah. you, really, central planners don't know about the facts on the uh, ground? We, I don't, that's and, the
2: first time that's ever happened, Ron.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Um, and here, here's the other scary thing. This book is basically... Uh, a compendium of chapters that interview doctors in different areas of practice. So either in hospitals, they interviewed one DPC doc that just got frustrated with the whole system and went out and started her own DPC practice and she's thriving and flourishing. Um, but she she pointed out a couple doctors who pushed back on the employer about this. I can't care for patients. I can't be in two places at once. You know, I'm an ER doctor and I have to go to into the hospital to deal with an ICU you know, um, stat call. And at the same time, I've got a patient in ER that's also basically in critical condition. You know, what do I do? We need Mm -hmm. more ER doctors. And when they put, when a doctor pushes back, the employer comes in and says, oh, well, you're suffering from burnout. And if you don't go get care, if you don't go into a clinic and get care, your medical license could be in jeopardy. And so they're caught in that trap, and the and, and the and the stories now. There's only a couple of them, but they're harrowing to think about. Absolutely harrowing to think about because the license is everything. You lose your license, that's it. Oh yeah, you're done. You're you know it's game over. Um, so that was that was very eye opening. And then they talked about this concept of financial toxicity, where doctors are cre- and they know they do this. They create incredible anxiety for their patients because. They order tests or procedures or recommend surgery. And the doc, when the, when the patient says, doc, how much is this going to cost? They can't answer it because some of the, some of the providers of this care, even in the hospital system, that's in network of your insurance, the doctors could be out of network because they're subcontracted and you'll get these bills in the mail. If you've ever been to the ER, you know, this is true. You're probably going to get a couple doctor bills from uh, the the outsource company something like 70% of ER rooms in the United States are covered by outsourced ER physician groups they're the ones that staff the ER departments and hospitals so the doctors they feel terrible about this so they're trying to get price transparency so they can give it to their patients so that's another issue and a couple of other things that just cracked me up about this was you know a part of Obamacare was also, was also patient satisfaction surveys. So they moving from fee to service to a sort of hybrid value-based model where part of that value-based model is the patient surveys. Well, here's a problem. At Penn Hospital, patient satisfaction surveys, they call in, they'd schedule an appointment with their doctor, their surgeon, whatever. The schedulers gave them whatever they wanted. They were super nice. And even if it meant overbooking the surgeons, and then the unsuspecting patients show up at their appointment and they have to wait three or four hours. They feel like the surgeon and the clinic staff are out of control. They get terrible ratings and the schedulers get great. This is a system for crying out loud. You can't bust it apart. It's just, it's crazy to me. And then another thing is um, some of the ways the ER doctors get around uh, their, their quotas is they document the patients are sicker than they really are. And that's called upcoding because apparently in the medical billing categories, the diagnostic related groups that they're all paid for, if the patient's sicker, the more sick they are, the higher the reimbursement. So they're incentivized to uh, upcode. And and of course, the surprise billing from the ER is another issue. So just all these things, this is a system and this is anything but a free market. And Mm -hmm. even though I don't agree with any of the author's conclusion or their, um, their prescriptions of how we should reform this, all their reform, by the way, is all about government. Government needs to do insurance reform. They need to reform the electronic health, right? They, they lay out all these reforms and it's like your reforms alone show how out of control And how the government is just an octopus in this market. It touches everything. Whereas the DPC docs, like Dr. Paul, are little random controlled trials of how this could be. be, Supposedly the gold standard, right? Random controlled trials. We have them. We have 2,000 DPC practices out there like Dr. Paul. And then we've got one medical and some other large groups. They prove that there's a way to do this cheaper a better experience for the patient with better outcomes already been proven. And it, now they say the same thing, but that won't scale and, and that won't, and, and it'll make it harder for people to find GPs. No, it won't because it will suck more people in to the profession. And because-
2: therein lies the problem. See, now you're, now you're talking that, Oh, that we'll get more physicians involved. You know what that means, Ron, lower
3: salaries, I, I know, mm-hmm. I, I, I know, and um, I, so, I, but that aside, that disagreement aside, and I know it's a huge disagreement, this book was eye-opening, and I think I love the concept of moral injury, so now whenever I hear somebody talk about burnout or mental health issues, I'm going to say, is it that, or is it moral injury?
2: Uh, yeah, no, that's a great point. And look, I, I can distinctly remember this, this happened with with both my kids in the hospital. That uh, that the we're, we're in we're, we're in an in network hospital with an in network obstetrician, and the the uh, pediatrician who saw both my kids was not in network. And like, well, what are you doing in my network hospital if you're not in? network position which led me to believe that it happened twice that this is by design that this is by design
3: the other thing is ed when they do work when a doctor like especially like an oncologist Mm -hmm. she she profiles one oncologist who you know they're only dealing with a specific type of cancer or maybe a a, you know a, a certain body organ or whatever and a patient came diagnosed and she said look you know you'd be better off with this doctor but this doctor was out of the hospital's network. They get, they get pummeled for that in their reviews and they're told not to do it. It's a fireable offense if they, if they refer too many patients. Now, what mm-hmm. the heck is too many patients? So this doctor pushed back on them and said, look, I'm going to send them to the best oncologist that I know that can handle this type of cancer because that's the best care for the patient. That should take precedence. It doesn't a lot of times. Mm. It's just, that's kind of scary. Um, You got to really, you got to be really a smart consumer with some of this stuff because it's, um, there's only one person that's going to look after you, you and your loved ones.
2: Well, yeah. And this gets me to another thing. And this, you know, happens to so many people, especially people in elder care situations that they, they, they don't, they can't read the bill. They have no, no idea what's going, going on. You know, I can't. I can barely decipher them. When this ha- situation with my mom c- a couple of months ago is like, you look at this stuff and you're like, fifteen thousand dollars a night at a at a ho- at a hospital. Do you know what kind of hotel I could no, stay at for fifteen thousand dollars a night?
3: A really good one in the presidential. <laughs> I, well,
2: state. I was just thinking, like, I I could uh, maybe for, for half that and then hire my own freaking doctor to it, <laughs> come and take care of my mother. Like it was just like. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know. I know. No, it's it's um there's a lot of problems with it. And just to blame it on, you know, the Achievement sites, Melton Friedman's nineteen seventy article, uh, and and of course Miss him says that he says put shareholder value first. He said, No, no, put profit first, mm-hmm. um, which is a different thing, but different it, than shareholder value. Yeah, right. Yeah. That that's not that's not the problem. The problem is you you've got these third party payers. Mm-hmm. That's a huge problem. And we just got to restore it. And the DPCs have done it and proved that it works. I mean, if you have a DPC, now the DPC is your advocate when you have to go into and and trigger your insurance, go into hospital. That's right. They become your advocate, just like your insurance company becomes your advocate when you're in a car crash or something. Yeah, so true.
2: Well, this is great, Ron. Love hearing about that, but we are up against our last break. I want to remind you that you can get hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have our Patreon channel available at patreon.com tsoe, which is sponsored by 90 Minds. If you need a mind, get one at 90minds.com. Right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
0: Colonel Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the diamond water paradox. Go to patreon.com/tsoe and subscribe today, please. For the love of God, make it stop.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station.
0: VoiceAmerica.com.
2: And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise. Uh, Ron, I want to talk a little bit about a review that we got from not only a listener, but also a former guest on the show, Brian Terrell. He was a guest back in episode 393 in almost exactly a year ago from today, Mm, June 3rd. Yeah, I know. It doesn't seem like that now, does it? But uh, one
3: of our poster or one of your poster boys for the subscription. Yes.
2: And that's going to lead into the next part of the conversation. But thanks, Brian, for your five star review. And you especially talk about bonus episode 436. This is the episode that's available on our Patreon channel only. So if you're interested in hearing this content where Ron and I continue the conversation after each week's regular episode, go to patreon.com slash TSOE. Uh, This is directly quoting now from Brian's review. Greg's comment at about 5.10 of the bonus episode of 4.36 available to Patreon subscribers about potentially giving away websites for free reminds me of my reflections on mid-market ERP implementation projects. In our case, both the customer's transformation and their maximum potential lifetime depend on the upgrade to Sage Intact. I do not expect Joe Pine's episode to be one which I'd listen to twice, but I think I'm about to cue it up Again, thank you for the good work, Brian Terrell. So thanks, Brian. Right. Really appreciate that as always. And Ron, Brian was a guest at, speaker at this session that I did with a bunch of SAGE Intact Accountants uh, part uh, pr- Program. So it's SAGE Intact, S-I-A-P, SAGE Intact Accountants Program Partners. This is the first, first of what we hope to be a, a number of cohorts that we take through a program. I delivered two 90-minute sessions to them leading up to our in-person conference. So one in in March, one in April, and then this is our May gathering. And the first two, I was delivering content that right from many of the shows that we've done, talking about the the, the nine different models and the pivot strategies, even pricing strategies, skim neutral penetration, all of those that, that talked about the income statement. And then we did interim after that, we did some sessions that we, what we called Ask, Ask Ed, where people could pose questions based on the content, and I would respond to their questions in a video conversation that I had with one of my colleagues at Sage. Well, we pivoted on them, Ron, and when we got these folks in, to Las Vegas, where we were going to, 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 uh, to talk with them, um, I, I flipped it. So instead of Ask Ed, it became Ed Asks. <laughs> <laughs> and what i did is i asked them a bunch of questions about what they were doing and the 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 answers were were really in, intriguing and interesting a lot of people making some good progress on it a lot of pushback on the pivot the the pivot models as you well are aware especially those people who you know believe their brand is so important the, I, what i'm finding is clearly the larger the cpa firm the more likely they are to say no freaking way to are we going to start a separate brand to this which which really confounds me, Ron, and I'm curious to your thought on this. What makes them think that they're helping their brand by doing that? It's actually diluting the brand. And I, I, I tried to make this argument with them, but it, it, it definitely seems to fall upon deaf ears. Is it this full service notion that we have to be full service? But why are you diluting your brand by doing not client advisory work, but client accounting, write-up, bookkeeping work in a CPA firm? I, I just don't get it.
3: I, I've never gotten it, Ed. This whole cast movement, I've never gotten.
2: Well, the, I, if, the, the, cast, if the A stands for advisory, I get it. Because basically, then what you're doing is you're giving the quote bookkeeping away for free to be able to get the the, the consulting type work on the other end. And I, I totally understand that. But I you mean, know, and I give the McDonald's Ruth Chris example. It's like, well, why are you guys doing McDonald's worth? Your brand is Ruth Chris. What are you doing? <laughs>
3: This is, I, I think what they need to see is examples from other large professional firms that have done separate brands like Ogilvy.
2: I talked about oh, the Ogilvy, the sp- spinning off the Ogilvy red. I, I talked about
3: those things. It, 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 and it falls on deaf ears. I know because it seems overwhelming to start a new business, but you know, big companies do this all the time with flanking brands or upscale brands. I mean, look what Toyota did with Lexus for crying out loud. I, I can't think of a more successful launch than that. Right. You know, that was brilliant. Um, yeah, I, the pivot thing, you do get, you know, the smaller firms understand it, though, I think, because th- they realize that's not that difficult. And there are two or, three,
2: two or three people in this cohort that are doing that. They actually spun off separate brands.
3: And could, and then I was like, yes, that's absolutely the way to go. And you probably talked about Target, you know, mm-hmm. Dayton Hudson spinning out Target. I mean, that, that, yep. talk about a risk. Dayton yeah. Hudson, was it was prospering, but they mm-hmm. they knew they were caught in the middle from a strategy positioning uh, positioning standpoint and also Charles Schwab with mm-hmm. the online um you know brokerage versus the brick and mortar brokerage right and even Charles Schwab said we could have never done this inside the legacy firm just could have mm-hmm. never happened um i th- I think Amazon AWS would be another example right mm-hmm. um that's a spin out entity. I mean, I know it's under the umbrella, just like Google, you know, Alphabet and all that and YouTube. But um, yeah, it, it's a great question. And I wish I had the answer to it because I, I, I'm all for advisory, but boy, the bookkeeping should be done by, you know, physician assistants and paralegals. Mm-hmm. But we got CPAs in there. And you know what? Many firms aren't giving it away, it's becoming their major. Driver of, of revenue, well, and, growth. but
2: you do you do have to ask the follow up question, Ron. When they say "cas practice," at, in, it's a simple question: What is your "a" standing for?
3: Yes, and mo- most of the most of the time, I've seen standing for accounting. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so I, I came to this conclusion. Let me th- let me throw this this on you as well. Advisory services is an oxymoron. Huh. Advice is not a service, right? Advice is not a service. <laughs>
3: I've never liked any of these terms, Ed. Business advisory, advisory. <clears throat> I don't like consulting much. Uh, I, I just there's, there's got to be better language here. Yeah. The this space is ripe for a, a you know Disney type language remake. Mm-hmm. Maybe ChatGPT can help with some of this because I, <laughs> maybe it should be financial storytellers. Yeah. You know, we're all telling mm-hmm. stories here, so. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's great to see that uh, Intact folks are in on this. So it's going to be. Interesting to watch that group's progress.
2: It is going to be interesting to see, and we're we're, we're talking more next week about brainstorming. You know what what we can do to, to continue this forward, and uh, it's going to be a, a good conversation. But to that end, Ron, I wanted to talk a little bit. And I mentioned it earlier in the show. We we have been wanting to talk about this. It's it's been out there, but we've had so many guests. I, I don't want to take up any 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 guest time to talk about this. But you we've launched, or you've launched really with your with your book with with uh, Paul Dunn, the Times Up Club, oh, you've uh, which launched is it. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i've given you assistance uh, but but yes so this is the, this, this is this is really i think something that, that that has a potential to be to be special those of you who haven't gone gone to this you can go to timesupclub.com where you can download audio chapter summaries of the book by uh, paul Dunn and ron baker called times up and we've got, we're building more and more content into that free forever program for you so i'm really looking forward to that and perhaps launching some levels above that uh, I, I love the tagline that we've developed, transforming the transformers, which I think is fantastic. So we're going to help, help the people who are, are going to do these transformations. In, so it's not just CPA firms. It's any, any kind of a, a professional firm who wants to get involved in subscription pricing and the subscription business model. Like, I really have to stop saying subscription pricing because it's subscription business model. I think that's one of the biggest things that we missed, Ron, when we, we kept talking about value pricing, value pricing, value pricing. We should have said value business model. Uh, yeah. So I think we just got to keep saying subscription business model over and over again.
3: Agreed. Yeah. And, and the other cool thing about this, it's not just you and I and Paul Dunn helping these firms, it's them helping each other. Yeah. I think just hearing each other's stories, being in the same room, like we're, you in Vegas, they probably feed off one another and learn as much from each other than they do from you. Absolutely. And and, and as always, Ron, with any of the,
2: the, the stuff that you and I do together, what, what's our one of our, our big K, K, KPIs with P being predictive is what are the conversations that happen during the lunch hour and during the t- the downtime when we're, we're not talking? And, and just- most
3: importantly, in the bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's called verbal assault. <laughs> and if they're using our words, then you know you yeah. got into their head. That is the leading indicator in a program. That I absolutely totally agree that I totally agree with that.
2: Yep. Well, good stuff. Ron,
3: next week. Ed, my forty-two-year mentor, George Gilder, has got a new book coming out, Life After Capitalism. So he's done Life After Television, Life After Google, and now Life After Capitalism. And Ed, this book drops on 530. We have three days to read it. I will be up at midnight when it downloads into my Kindle, and I will read this book in its entirety before we have George on. I can't wait. It's going to be another special
2: show, and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been The Soul of Enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by sage building experiences that connect remove friction and deliver insights join us next week on friday at 3 p.m eastern noon pacific when we'll be talking to ron's mentor george gilder in the meantime please feel free to visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com